Um, if you guys want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, and um, we've actually been going through this as a, a young adults fellowship. Um, on Saturday nights, we meet every other Saturday, and uh, so it's been cool um, to meet and go through that as a mini church, but then to bring that here and to share it with you guys collectively um, as, as the whole bunch. So um, I'm going to read it. We're going to be picking it up actually in, in uh, verse 27 of chapter 11. I'm just going to go ahead and read that entire chapter, and then we'll pray and, and get into it. So, Again, picking it up in verse 27 of chapter 11. Uh, I'm going to be reading in the New King James, and so if you guys have it, you can follow along or just listen. Um, that's cool too. Verse 27 of chapter 11, it says, And in these days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they did also by... This they did, and sent by the elders, sent to the elders, sorry, um, by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Chapter 12 says, Now in that time Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Verse 5 goes on to say, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and the light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garments and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them on its own accord, and they went out and down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. Then Peter had come to himself and said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. And many were gathered there together praying. And Peter knocked on the door of the gate. A girl named Rhoda answered, or came and answered. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran to announce, ran and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said it was his angel. In verse 16, now Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. 
But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison and how out of the prison. Um, and he said, go tell these things to James um, and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had stretched, when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they be put to death. And he went down to Judea of Caesarea and stayed there. In verse 20, it says, Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus, the king's personal assistant, uh, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. So on a set day, Herod arrayed in royal, guard, uh, royal apparel, sat on his throne, and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, The voice of a god and not of a man. Then immediately the angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. <clears throat> so, Lord, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time we have to uh, just gather and to get into your word. I pray that you'd speak through me this morning. Um, I, I would just be a mouthpiece for you, God. These would not be my words, and, and I pray that you would uh, just meet us here. Um, that you would uh, convict and encourage us as you see fit. Uh, open our eyes that we may see wondrous things from your word this morning. God, we want to hear from you. Um, and so teach us, Lord, and, and uh, God, we just thank you. Uh, we're excited. Pray these things in your name. Amen. So again, um, we've been going through this book. We left off in chapter 11, just picking it up, um, where we as a, a young adults fellowship left off. Um, but I think it's a really timely word. <clears throat> so my dad, um, he challenged me to, to come up with a title for this morning's message, um, which I don't normally do. So I'm going to try and remember what it was. So it goes like this. Be full of care for what you pray for. God answers prayer. So again, be full of care for what you pray for. God answers prayer. Or you could say, be careful what you pray for. God answers prayer. Careful with the emphasis of God answering those prayers. In other words, um, considerate or confident that he will answer those prayers. So that's my title, Dad. Um, at any rate, <clears throat> the, uh, the backdrop for the book of Acts, in summary, um, I think many of your Bibles would have it listed as um, the Acts of the Apostles, um, but it should be more accurately translated the Acts of the Holy Spirit uh, working in the early church. And so that's what we're reading about. Um, <clears throat> and it's been super cool just meeting as a small group, getting into that. Um, it's, it's all about the Holy Spirit, and, and it's exciting because we are the church, and so we see just parallel after parallel of, of what is going on in this book and what's happening in the news, what's happening with us today. Um, very relevant. So we're going to pick it up in verse 1. 
um, of chapter 12. It says this, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Um, and so that word harass there is, is probably not what we would um, typically think of it as. It's, it's uh, not... Um, it's not practical jokes. It's actually to, to uh, oppress, to afflict, and to harm. It's, it's violent. It's what Herod is doing. It says in verse 2, Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it was pleasing to the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter. Now it was also during the days, now it was during the days of unleavened bread. Um, if you guys want to flip in your Bibles to 2 Timothy 3.12. It's a verse you guys may be familiar with. Um, it's pretty short. 2 Timothy 3.12, I'll read it, and it says this. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Um, as we've been going through the book of Acts, we've seen a lot of persecution. And, you know, that's, that's a promise from God. And um, you know, typically, that's, that's not a verse I've seen on the cover of, of journals. You know, it's probably something more like, uh, I can do all things to Christ who gives me strength or Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. But that um, verse, 2 Timothy 3, 12, is a promise from God, and so we can rest assured that if we are desiring to live godly in Christ Jesus, we, we will suffer persecution. Um, that's his promise. And so with that, a question for us as a church, um, when was the last time that, that we suffered persecution? When was the last time that you in your life suffered persecution. Um, the verse tells us that if we're desiring to live godly in Christ Jesus, we will suffer persecution. And so that's God's word. Um, no need to, to be surprised. And so um, I, I think we can be oftentimes taken back when we suffer, when we go through um, things that are uncomfortable for us. But, but God very clearly in his word time and time again said this is how um, you will get to know me. This is how you will be the most, um, the most potent fragrance of, of who I am to, to the world around you, uh, if you will. So that's 2 Timothy 3.12. It's touching on persecution there. Um, and in verse 4 it says, So when he had arrested him, had arrested Peter, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Uh, another verse you can write down if you guys are taking notes is James 4, verse 2. And in that verse, James tells us that we have not because we ask not. Um, and so it's a matter of asking. And uh, we're going to see that there's a direct uh, application of those prayers later on in this, this chapter, um, that it did make a difference for them. 
um, because they prayed, because they asked. In verse 6, it says, And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know what, that what was done by the angel was real, but he thought it was a vision. And in 10, when they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them on its own accord. So there you see the first automatic door mentioned in the scriptures, opened to them by itself. Um, they went down one street and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord had sent his angel and delivered me from the hand of people and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. Um, and so the setting right now is perfect because this wasn't the first time that a man, a Jew, under the jurisdiction of Herod was arrested was bound in chains to be presented before the people just before, just after Passover, rather. Um, and of course, we know that to be none other than Jesus Christ himself. But that man in that story, um, he would not be released by an angel. And not by 12 legions of angels would he be set free because he was to be delivered over to them so that we might be delivered through him. Again, that was Jesus, and we read that in the Gospels, and, and it's a powerful illustration. Um, Jesus, Son of God, who was God, who came to earth as a man uh, to die on the cross, to rise again from the dead, um, and all that we might have uh, life in his name is the forgiveness of our sins. Um, it's a powerful, powerful stuff there. But, um, you know, Jesus, he was not spared. He, he, he went on ahead with it. So, verse 12, it says, So that when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Um, this may have been the, the upper room where the disciples and Jesus had Passover. Um, it's also thought to have been the, the upper room that the disciples were praying in, uh, in Acts chapter 1. A um, little bit of info for you there. In 13 it says, And as Peter knocked in the door, at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. Um, and when she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced to Peter, announced that Peter stood before the gate. Um, 
and this kind of cracks me up, wrote it, that was because um, if any of you guys have met our dog, Chloe, um, it's, it's the funniest thing, but when, pretty much when, whenever anyone comes through the door, um, she'll greet them and, and she'll start whining super high and super loud, and uh, she usually has something in her mouth. Um, but it's the funniest thing because she'll, she'll run up to greet you and, uh, and then she'll just kind of flee and enjoy and she doesn't really know what to do with herself. And so when I'm reading about Rhoda here, all I can think of is, is our dog, Chloe. Um, she'll greet you and then she's just like taken back and overwhelmed and, and so she flees and, and then when she simmers down, um, she'll like stick her head back out like <laughs> that's... Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's weird. I don't know if any of your guys' dogs are like that, but um, yeah, pretty funny. But that was Rhoda. So as soon as she heard Peter knocking at the door of the gate, um, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood um, before the gate. But they said to her, those who were praying, you are beside yourself. Um, yet she kept insisting that it was so, so they said it is his angel. So in other words, they're saying, you know, Rhoda, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. I can't be Peter. Um, which is interesting because we read that in verse 5, they were praying continually for him. And, and uh, in verse 15, um, they they were praying when, when he went to that house. It's, it's because they're having a prayer meeting. And so, um, you know, they're... Their uh, disbelief there is, is rather interesting. Um, they said it is his angel, and so, you know, did they think that he had died, or is it that angels, that was a, a common, perhaps, occurrence in that day, that, that angels would make visitations? Um, either way, they were not persuaded that, that Peter had indeed been set free from prison. Uh, they just couldn't believe it. Verse 16 says, Now Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Again, astonished. Really? Like, had they not been praying continually for Peter and that he would be released from his prison? Um, or something of, of that kind. And so, we know one of two things based on their response it was either that they were not praying for Peter's release and thought it impossible, or they had been and simply lacked the faith to believe that God was able. So what exactly were they praying for is the, the question that comes to mind. We, we did read in, in verse 5 that they were praying continually. Um, and then again in, in verse... Um, 15, and, and before that, even when, when Peter approaches the house, he, he uh, sees that they're having a prayer meeting. And so, did something change between verses 5 and 15? Or was it that they had lost heart and given up hope? Um, we do see a lack of faith on their part. Um, and so, did something change? And what did they pray for concerning Peter is another question. Because whatever it was, it didn't render him to be released from prison. That wasn't 
clicking for them. That, that wasn't computing, if you will. And so it seems like they had already settled for what they believed God would or would not do rather than believing in faith for all that he could do. So they had already, in their minds, decided for God what he was going to do, whether that was through disbelief or simply not having the faith to ask and to trust in all that he could perform for them. They were limiting God in their minds. They were putting him in a box. Um, And so when push comes to shove, when the good news arrives at the door, it just wasn't registering for them. But this encourages us to know that the Lord responds to prayer, even in spite of our unbelief. That's great news. Again, this encourages us to know that God responds to prayer, even in spite of our unbelief. These believers prayed continually, yes, and passionately, no doubt, but full of faith, no. They were in fervent, intense prayer, and yet at the same time, they were not full of faith that God um, could perform for them and that he was able to do all um, that they had asked of him. And so, too, we pray, but a lot of times I think it's that... um, you know, we, we may pray fervently, we may pray um, intensely, actively, and continually, passionately. Um, but, but sometimes it's also that maybe we, we, uh, we don't fully believe that, that what we're praying for um, may come to pass or that God um, will do that for us. Not believing or not sure that anything's going to happen. But this story tells us that that's okay because God says, I can work with that. He, he meets us where we're at and he sees the faith that we have to offer, what we bring to the table. Um, and he multiplies that. I think of the story of you know, the feeding of the 5,000 and, and the, the loaves and the fish that were offered to him. And, and that's all the kid had. And, and here are multitudes of hungry people, and the Lord took that and he multiplied it. So it's not a matter of of quantity with God, never. Matthew 17, 20, you guys will remember that Jesus said, um, if you had, talking to, to his disciples, to those around him, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could say to that mountain, move, and it would be moved. And so, again, it's not a matter of quantity. It's less a matter of quantity and more about the quality of the object of our faith. And true faith is objective. It's rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, again, it's not what we bring to the table. It's that we're bringing it to the table, and it's that we trust God that in spite of our own uh, unbelief and our doubt, um, that he's able to work through that, and he's bigger than, than anything that we could, could offer to him. And so I love that. Uh, if you guys want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12.
And Peter writes this. It's pretty cool. He says in his letter, repenting this in verse 12, chapter 3, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Um, we're going to read about both of that in our story today. Um, but I love that first bit. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His eyes upon us. His ear is to us. Um, his ear is open to our prayers. It's awesome. It's, a, it's another promise of God. So, uh, again, they were astonished when, when it, it registered, when they saw Peter, they were astonished. And so, um, you know, it's, it's astonishing how taken back they were. Like, here's the early church, and they're the, the OGs, you know. They experienced the, the Holy Spirit in full um, at first, when, when he first um, descended upon them. And, and so um, it, it's interesting to read about their own astonishment concerning the prayers they prayed on behalf of Peter. Um, but at the same time, is it really all that astonishing to us? How often do we find ourselves getting locked on to our own perception of how we think things should be or how we think things should turn out? And uh, so it's easy to, to point fingers here in this story um, and criticize and ridicule their faith in seemingly the, the all night of prayer, the, the, continually, the continual prayer they had been um, involved in concerning Peter, but... Um, you know, it's, it's so like us, and nothing's changed. We, we fall into that exact same pattern, getting locked on to our own perception, our own feeling, our own way of thinking concerning how we think God should deal with us, um, or how we think maybe a particular circumstance is, is going to unfold. Um, we're narrow-minded in that way. If, if we're not careful, I think we, we all... In our, in our humanity, in our, our sinful tendencies, uh, we lean towards doubt. It's not, it's not natural for us to, to just surrender that to the Lord. And so it's something that we have to continually be putting before him uh, and laying at his feet. And so that's us. Um, if you guys want to turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, reads this, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. And so just a declaration really of God's ableness to meet us where we're at, that's, that's a mouthful. It's exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Um, and, and I know a, th a theme for us even this last month in November was, was provision and, and on contentment. God is our Father. He knows exactly what we need before we ask a word of Him, before it's even a thought in our mind. Um, he's able to, to perform and, 
and according to the power that works in us. That's the Holy Spirit there, that last part. Um, and that's accessible to us through salvation. God's, um, God chooses to use the Holy Spirit to work that into us. The Holy Spirit is God's um, agent of choice in that regard, if you will. Um, and I think of a verse in Romans chapter 8. It says, And we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit also makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And I love everything about that chapter, but that verse specifically um, says, And we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Like, we ought to know what to pray for. Jesus literally taught us how to pray. Um, the Lord's Prayer is, is what we've named that, and it's, it's completely substantial. Um, and so we ought to know how to pray. Why? Because we have the text right in front of us. We have the, the directions right here, everything that we need to know about God's will and his heart for us and his heart for the lost um, is written here in his word, and, and it's accessible to us. Um, but at the same time, in our, in our brokenness, we don't know what we should pray for like we ought to. Um, and so I think this verse is just very complimentary, the one in Ephesians 3.20, in that it says that he is exceedingly, abundantly able to do all that we ask, above all that we ask or think, um, according to the power that is in at work, um, that works in us, and so um, I know a few of you guys may think you have some some uh, creative imaginations, but but God is is able to surpass that, and even even as far out as we can think and, and can believe and can ask of Him, um, He's He's far-reaching. He's He's far above us in that way. Um, in 21, we can read it because it's just so good, but it says, To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And so it's, it's by the Holy Spirit that Christ is glorified. That's the chief office of the Holy Spirit is to make much of Christ. And so um, as, as we're here and, and as we're, we as the church are weighing um, out, you know, what is of the Spirit? What is not? Well, does it make much of Christ? Does it glorify Him? Does it magnify His name? Um, then, then that's a good indication that that's of the Spirit. And um, if it's contrary to that, then then uh, it's a no-go. You know, danger. Stay away. Um, but to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. And so... Um, Again, even even citing that verse in, in Romans chapter 8, I think it's in verse 26. Um, the Father, and, and this is something that I think um, was spoken on a few weeks ago now, but, but it's that God, the Father, he's praying over us. Um, the Son, Christ, is interceding for us, and the Holy Spirit is praying through us. Um, through those groanings that, that cannot be uttered, that are too deep for us. Um, and I love that. Like, the bases are covered. Like, we're, we're so covered in prayer. Um, and we have a God who, who is able to meet our needs. Um, 
So again, we can, uh, we can poke fun at the believer's shock in how they responded to what God had done uh, concerning Peter. And at the same time, you know, we fall into that very same thing. Like, God answers prayer, and he works, and he moves in ways that perhaps we've so earnestly sought him to do. Um, and then he finally, he pulls through, and we're like, what? Like, like God, seriously? Wow. And, and we're, you know, perhaps it's in disbelief, perhaps it's in um, awe. But, you know, their shock, it, it, it may be easy to poke fun at, but, like, that's totally us. God is... is is sovereign and, and he is in all things. He is he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And then we're so taken back and and astounded at, at what he chooses to do. Um, you know, we're shocked and it's it's a funny thing. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have ever prayed for humility before. Um, it's actually, it's a really interesting thing, but in that, and we're, we're kind of basing this off of, of their response, their shock to, to God answering their prayers. Um, if you've ever prayed for humility before, why is it that we're so confounded and, and so shocked when God brings us into circumstances that humble us, um, and, and uses things to, to really humiliate us, to strip us of our pride, um, and to just put us on our face before him, using humility as an example. Um, you know, we're, we're so shocked, and when we pray for, for certain things, and when God comes through for us, it's like, wait, what? That's, that's not how I thought that would look. That's, that's not what I wanted to feel. Um, but, but that's how he works, and so, you know, Brace for it, you know. Be careful, be, be full of care in what you pray for because God answers prayer. And so believing in faith that he will meet those needs. The definition of prayer um, that I wrote down, it's that prayer is believing in faith that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think while simultaneously declaring to him, your will be done. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so it's, it's understanding, yes, God, you are able to do all things. But at the end of the day, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so believing in faith, trusting with confidence that he's able. Um, but again, not locking onto our own perception of how we think he should deal with us. Um, we have to simultaneously, at the same time, surrender that to him. So it's believing in faith, Ephesians 3.20, while simultaneously declaring to him, God, not my will, but your will be done. There's a verse in Philippians 4.19. I think you guys have heard it before. Uh, we can turn there if you'd like. Um, and it says, My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Again, my God shall supply 
all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. It's a very encouraging verse. Um, and, and we think of it in the best way. Um, but on the other hand, what if, what if for us in the season that we're in, what if our greatest need is humility? And uh, what if our greatest need is, is discipline? Like it says there, my God shall supply all of your needs uh, according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so having access to the Father, uh, he knows how to deal with us, to correct us as sons and daughters. So if our greatest need is for discipline, um, you know, it's another promise of God. He's able to meet that. He's able to, to work that out of us. Um, if it's, you know, to to draw closer to the Lord and, and to, to sober up and to, um, you know, get back on track, to get back into the race. He's able to meet that need. Um, again, as we read at the beginning of the study in Second Corinthians, in Second uh, Timothy, um, it's it's so often through persecution and, and sufferings that he does that. Um, says that in Philippians, it's through the the power of his resurrection, through the Holy Spirit, but then also through the fellowship of his sufferings. That's how we become like him. That's that's the purifying work um, that he does in us. Um, so if you're in need of of correction, um, Philippians 4.19, if you're in need of, of uh, you know, a rude awakening, God's able to meet that need in us. He knows how to deal with us as a, a loving father, but also, if that means his corrective hand, so be it. May we be open to that. And so, getting back into Acts, um, in 17, it said, but motioning to them with his hand to keep silent. He declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Um, and I'm probably more um, leaning towards the, the fact that it was uh, a secret prayer meeting and and it was less keeping them quiet for the sake of, of concealing his, you know, escape or release of prison. And, and uh, we know that there's, there's great persecution. They were meeting uh, in secret. And so what a novel idea. Like they were, they were defying um, what, the, what the Roman Empire had, had uh, mandated for them. Um, again, parallels like... <laughs> Like, here we are, crazy, huh? But uh, who'd have thought? Having to disobey the authorities in order to, to honor Christ and his word, um, his commandments. We've touched on that before. <clears throat> um, so he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, go, tell these things to James, into the brethren, and so he departed and went to another place. This is um, James, the half brother of Jesus, the author of the book of James, um, and he was what we know um, from history to be the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And so uh, James, the the disciple, was was killed in the beginning of this uh, story. But uh, this is James, the half brother of Jesus. Just so there's 
Uh, no confusion there. Uh, so we went down to Judea, to Caesarea, and stayed there. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. But they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus the king's personal aid, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. Um, so why was, why was Herod so angry at them? Um, I have no idea. <laughs> it doesn't tell us. But continuing on, it says that because their country was supplied with food, they were desperate to, to be, in good terms, uh, be in good terms with him. And so um, we're going to see how, how they're working on that. It says in 21, so on a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne, and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting the voice of a god and not of a man. Um, this is flattery. This is really worship. It's, it's very dangerous, and this should catch um, our eye immediately. But, you know, they're, they're essentially just kissing up to him at this point. Um, 23, it says, Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him, because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Um, and so that verse, you know, in 23, that should sober us to no end. God is serious about his glory, and he is serious about keeping that for himself. So we're going to read that in Isaiah. Um, I believe it's 42. Guys could turn there or write it down. It's 42.8. And it says, I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory. I will not give to another. Nor my praise to carven images. Again, I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory. I will not give to another. Nor my praise to carven images. We need to understand that as a church and as a on an individual level. Um, not unto us, O oh, oh Lord, but unto your name be the glory, is what Psalm, the psalmist uh, tell us. And so another question for us, in what ways have we robbed God of his glory by allowing ourselves to be worshipped in his stead and... and uh, to really think on that. Again, it's in what ways have we robbed God of his glory by allowing ourselves to be worshipped in his stead, by allowing ourselves to be put first in our own lives uh, instead of him, instead of Christ, um, by allowing the praise of man to, to drown out the, the uh, reality of, of really who we know God to be. He does not share his glory. He's a, a jealous God and and it's all to him. It's all for him. Something to consider. Um, if we have been allowing ourselves to be worshipped. And it, it sounds intense. It actually is intense. But it's, it's in the little ways. And it's in the things that perhaps we don't often think of. 
Um, it says in, in Song of Solomon, it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. It's those little, um, you know, perhaps words of affirmation, which are fine, which are great. Um, praise the Lord. But, but if we allow that to, to root deep within us, uh, rather than giving God the glory for what he has enabled us to do, um, it's idolatry. We're worshiping ourselves, you see. And, uh, you know, even thinking... Um, it's, and, and it was touched on, I believe, last week, but um, it's God who's, who's given us the ability to do everything that we can do. Um, and, and we saw that in um, 1 Timothy 6, 6. It's that godliness with contentment is great gain. It's that if God were to, were to strip away your gifts and talents that he's given to you, uh, how would you respond? Because it's all... It's all because of him, and it's all from him. It's all for him. Um, and so, really, we, we came into this world with nothing. We're going to leave with nothing. Um, all for his glory. And wrapping it up, um, it says, Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and died. Uh, it's pretty, pretty horrific, gory. But God is, is making a point here in that. 24, I love, it says, But the word of God grew and multiplied. Um, and so just to camp there for a minute as we close, um, you know, may it be said of us when persecution, you know, persecution came, but the word of God grew and multiplied. The coronavirus came, but the word of God grew and multiplied. And, and afflictions, disease, it struck, it came, it hit. Um, it hit us, but, but the word of God grew and multiplied. And may that be really our response um, as individuals in our families, in our church, in our city, um, that whatever the world may throw, whatever God may allow, or cause to happen, um, you know, what a response that the word of God grew and multiplied. Not the teachings of men, uh, but the word of God. And in verse 25, then Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. And so we're going to see him uh, in the next few chapters, going on some uh, some missionary trips with the boys. Um, it's cool stuff. <laughs> now, if you guys want to find out what happens in the next chapter, you can go ahead and read it, because it's right there. <laughs> um, but we're going to stop there this morning, and so... Uh,